listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Talking about the power of being Pentecostal, and, and you hear me, we sing the song almost every night or I'll flip to the, the song going out. But I want to deal with that for a moment. And in this final session of these Spirit of Faith sessions, I want to deal with this thought because so many people talk about, you know, um, what it is to be full gospel, Pentecostal, charismatic. The problem is it's not enough to just be Pentecostal, charismatic in name. It's not enough. It's not enough to just be Pentecostal or charismatic in name. You've got to be Pentecostal charismatic in function, in action, in practice. I've you know what's crazy? I know of churches that are, you know, in a they're in Pentecostal denominations, but they won't allow Pentecostal manifestations to take place in their churches. That's to me that's mind-blowing. That you're in a Pentecostal denomination. And when you planted your church, you took money from a Pentecostal denomination, hey Raina, in order to build your church from a Pentecostal group of people. But then, yep, support Pastor Nathan Luenda, go ahead. But then, after you built your church with the money you took from a Pentecostal denomination, now you're anti-Pentecostal. Whether you say you're one or not, you won't allow the functionality to take place in your church. That's crazy to me that there are people who are in it just for the money (laughs) that they would get from their denomination, but won't practice it, won't speak in tongues, won't prophesy, won't lay their hands on the sick, will not anoint people with oil, will not allow uh, the gifts of the spirit. I mean, literally, will not allow it. And so it's crazy. There's people that are uh, Pentecostal by name only, and that is no Pentecostal at all. And as I love what um, uh, I saw somebody retweeted this broadcast on on Twitter and um, and said, because uh, I said the, the title obviously is I'm a Pentecostal and someone wrote and tweeted, I am too. And so were all of, of, of the believers until somebody told them it wasn't for today and it died out with the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, which is what people believe when the last original 12 of the 12 apostles died which the last one was John on the island of Patmos after getting the book of Revelation, then they said, well, you know, that's no longer for today. Even though we've got, the crazy thing is, even though we have proof in history from early church fathers continuing to write about uh, charismatic gifts being in operation, we still have, we actually have a record of that. He's like, no, 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 brother, that died off with the last apostle. That's crazy. Because it wasn't just the apostles, the 12 apostles operating in those gifts. How do you explain the fact that Jesus sent out 70 and they came back and said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us. How do you, how do you explain the fact that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, you guys, even though you're extremely immature, they weren't apostles of the lamb and they had an abundance of the gifts of the spirit in their churches and their services. Think about that. It's not limited to the 12 apostles of the Lamb or uh, uh, those that were only with Jesus. I mean, Paul never met Jesus. Paul never met Jesus, and he had an abundance. Well, he was a special case, brother. Everybody always loves to put a caveat in there. But the problem is it was not uh, limited to just a few people. All of those, all of those that were connected to Christianity were Pentecostal until somebody stepped up in a spirit of religion and said, well, that's not for today, brother. But I'm Pentecostal and unashamed of that fact. You don't have to be a fool to be Pentecostal. You can be extremely intelligent and be full of the Holy Ghost. For for years, they've equated Pentecostalism with people that were uh, not well-educated and people that were poor and didn't know any better. Well, that's that's how those believe that don't really have anything. They're kind of desperate for something good to happen in their life. That's how it was thought of. And still, people talk about it today like that's the case. Well, let me tell you something. I'm not poor, I'm not desperate, and I'm not poorly educated, and I still believe wholeheartedly in the Pentecostal message. I speak with tongues, I see the gifts of the Spirit in manifestation, and I'm unashamed of the mighty power of the Holy Ghost, who we need now more than ever. 
more than ever. I don't know. Somebody, <laughs> somebody came to my grandfather one time who pastored for 62 years. And they said to him, thinking, because, you know, he was very, very, um, you know, my, my grandfather, very, very influential man and very, very uh, charismatic as far as personality, had a great business mind, really could have done anything he wanted to do. He had a phenomenal business mind. I mean, he had, he owned planes before preachers were buying planes. Think about that. My grandfather, back in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, he was owning planes before ministers were buying planes. He had planes in West Virginia at the regional airports. He'd fly, he'd fly them all over the churches. He'd go up and fly over churches he used to pastor in Pennsylvania, show people I used to pastor that church. He flew them. He was the pilot, owned his own plane and flew his own plane. He had a great business mind. He could have done anything he wanted to do. And there were people that came to him and said, Brother Shuttlesworth, and this was an actual question they asked him. They said, Brother Shuttlesworth, what would you be if you weren't a Pentecostal preacher? Now, they, they're asking what he thought he would have taken up as a career, you know, if, if he could have done something else. But listen to the way the question was phrased. What would you be if you weren't a Pentecostal preacher? And without missing a beat, because he was very witty, he said, what would I be? I'd be ashamed. <laughs> I love that answer. What would you be if you weren't a Pentecostal preacher? I'd be ashamed. <laughs> and I feel the same. I can't imagine living in these days that we're living in without the power of the Holy Ghost. I cannot imagine living in this time that we're living in without having the mighty manifestations of God's anointing in my life and in our ministry. People need help. And you can't get people help from philosophy. And people cannot be helped just from a good idea or a good feeling. People need the power of God if their life is going to be turned around. When you hear me tell you testimonies and stories of drug addicts that come into our meetings strung out on drugs, hi, I've done this, these strong drugs every day of my life for years, and then the power of the Holy Ghost touches them, and they come back the next night looking like a different person and testifying, not only did I not do drugs today, I didn't have the desire to do drugs today. That's not a coincidence. Not There's no well-put-together message that could make that happen. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the power of God. The anointing breaks every yoke of bondage. I'm referencing Isaiah 10, 27. The anointing breaks every yoke of bondage. And so we don't need more philosophy. We don't need more quotations from book, business books that were in the bestseller aisle at Barnes & Noble. We don't need more tweetable quotes. What we need is the mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit to shake people out of their bondage and set the captive free. There are captives living in our generation. There are people in invisible prisons living in our generation. That's one of the greatest comments I have ever had on any social media platform. Vince Carter, the famous basketball player from the Toronto Raptors, said on Periscope, you look like an unsuccessful cult leader. <laughs> Vince, thank you so much. That comment made my entire night. <laughs> You look, you look like an unsuccessful cult leader. <laughs> you know what's funny? I'm going to take that quote and use it like as part of my bio. <laughs> Evangelist Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. looks like an unsuccessful cult, cult leader. <laughs> that made my night, Vince. Thank you so much. That was awesome. He said, it's true. <laughs> Imagine if I had a tie, though. If I had a tie, I could look like a successful cult leader. <laughs> Everybody else, welcome Vince Carter. He's on Periscope tonight. But understand, the mighty power of the Holy Spirit is more needed now than ever before. Look at the, the way that things are ramping up. Suicide ramping up. Drug addiction ramping up. Do you realize drug addiction is so rampant? in many of these states, opioid addiction, that police officers 
and state troopers are realizing this is so out of control. You know what they did in New England? They started releasing the pictures of people that were overdosed because of the fact it was so widespread. They were like, we have to show people what happens, the result of using this drug. They don't have an answer. They're putting people in rehab clinics. They're coming out, going right back to the same dosage that they used before. But because things are so inconsistent in the batches that are cooked, people are taking the same dose of opioids that they took before, overdosing and dying. You've got people locked in an invisible prison and they need the power of the Holy Ghost to set them free. They need the power of God to set them free. And we don't need a little form and fashion of religion or what the Bible says, people that have a form of godliness and deny uh, the power thereof. We don't need that. We don't need that. People that are just want, you know, people that just have itching ears that are gathering to themselves teachers that'll preach what makes them comfortable, preach what they want to hear. We don't need that. We don't need dead, dry religion with no power in it. We don't need churches that are basically funeral homes and mausoleums where you got dead people sitting in a dead church listening to a dead preacher preach a dead message that can't do anything or raise anybody back to supernatural life. We don't need it. What we need is the mighty power of the Holy Ghost. We need it. We've got to have it. And if we don't have it, then it's going to cause a generation to fall away from the Lord. That's why even as a young man, and I am young, the young's a relative term. I'm younger than some, older than some. But as a younger man, I am not, I have no desire. I want you to hear me very clearly. I have no desire to try to fit in with a hip crowd and preach some streamlined message that may more open more conference doors for me. If you think my desire as a preacher is to go preach large conferences somewhere and have somebody retweet my tweetable quotes from some large conference somewhere and think that's success. You don't even know who I am or what the Lord wants us to do as believers. That's not my desire. My desire is to see many saved, many healed, many baptized in the Holy Ghost. I want to see, I don't care about becoming famous in that way. I don't care if I ever get to hang out with celebrities. That's not my goal. It's not my goal to look cool enough to be on on some show on MTV. That's not my goal. Please, please. Men of God are called by God and sent by God to their generation to deliver their generation and set the captives free. Let the chips fall where they may. I could care less. If people think I'm cool, relevant, or hip, that is not a prerequisite for being powerful. Let me tell you something, and remember this. Reinhard Bonnke said this. Dr. Reinhard Bonnke, who's gone on to be with the Lord, who arguably won more souls to Jesus Christ in his lifetime than any person in human history, maybe with the exception of uh, of T.L. Osborne and and maybe a few others, but, you know, uh, on a handful of, of, of two hands, two hands, you could count the men in history that have won the, the number of souls to Christ that Dr. Reinhard Bonnke did. And he had a quote, and I want you guys to write it in the comments section because it's, it's one of the most wise things I've ever heard said. You know what he said? Bread is always relevant to a starving man. I want you to put that in the comments. That is one of the most powerful things and simplistic that I've ever heard said, bread is always relevant to a starving man. That is, you couldn't put it any better than that. You couldn't put, I mean, when you begin to realize what the message of life truly is, when you start to realize, and let me tell you, I don't care for people that are too good or too smart to receive this message. Fine. It's not my business to force this message on you. It's not my business. See, this is where we get, this is where we get uh, caught up as believers, where we get into an error. When we think it's our job to save everybody, it's not our job to save everybody. It's not my job to save anybody. 
It's my job to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the unadulterated truth of God's word. It's my job to present it with boldness, to not hold anything back, to not pull any punches, to be bold and let the chips fall. And then if people receive it, call them to Christ. And if they reject it, the Bible says, shake the dust off of your feet and go somewhere else. I'm not going to bang my head against a brick wall for 30 years for a couple of people that are stubborn and and think that their money uh, is going to save them or think that their uh, uh, you know the comfort that they have in this Western world is going to save them. That's why if you really want to know why Jesus said that it is uh, hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, it's because and if you study the, what he taught about people that trust in their riches, it's that people who have comfort and wealth and it seems like all their needs are met, they begin to think that their help is in the flesh, that they can do everything that they need to do and that they don't need the help of God and that they don't need a supernatural power to assist their life. But there's a problem when you believe that you are your own help and you trust, as the Bible says in Jeremiah, in the arm of flesh, dangerous, the prophet Jeremiah said, cursed is the man who puts his trust in the arm of flesh and in doing so turns his back upon God, turns his back, not just disappoints God, turns his back upon God. Why? Because he's put his trust in the arm of flesh. I will never think that I'm blessed because of me or that I'm healed because of me or that I'm joyful and have no depression and anxiety or suicidal thoughts because of me. I understand where my help comes from. I understand that without God, I'm nothing. I understand without the Holy Ghost, I've got no power. I understand that without Jesus, I'm a dead man. I know those things. I'll never take the glory. I'll never take the honor or the praise. It always goes to them. But the danger of what Jesus taught is that unsaved wealthy people, many times you can't tell them anything because they think they've got everything figured out. That's why many times it is the poor, it is those that are desperate for help that are able to quickly receive the gospel of Jesus Christ because they need what Christ has and they know they can't get it on their own. They cannot get it on their own. And so you understand humility is needed. But if you think that I'm worried about being relevant to somebody somewhere because I came into my meeting in a fedora and ripped jeans and a Hawaiian shirt that's unbuttoned down to my navel. If you honestly think that I had to put on some Chelsea boots and come in with, you know, it's it's like ridiculous. It's like, how, what, how much are you going to do? I, I was in a service like that one time. I was in a service with a dude that was trying to be super relevant, probably 40 years old, came in, I mean, I don't even know what he was dressed like, but be honest with you, it was it was a little disgusting. But whatever, I'm cool with that. You get up and do your thing. He got up and preached to a room full of hundreds and hundreds of hungry young people, many of whom needed Jesus, many of whom needed the Holy Ghost, many of whom needed deliverance, and stood to preach and opened his Bible, which he had ripped up playing some game before the service, opened his Bible, and then didn't preach out of his Bible. He didn't, not only did he not read any scripture, he didn't even quote any scripture. He had some cool, hip, relevant talk prepared uh, with um, a, a soundtrack of music that was synchronized to it with something up on monitors on the screen, some movie he'd put together where he synchronized his talk and the soundtrack and the movie and talked for two hours. I timed this dude. Talked for two hours to a room full of people that needed the help of God about God knows what and never cracked this word, never even quoted a scripture from his spirit. You know, he never even said this. He never even said something like, you know what the, Bi the Bible says, and then quoted from his heart. He didn't even do that. It was just something you could have heard at a TED Talk, something you could have heard at some college campus, but no power, no power, nothing that would change the lives of men and women. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in getting, you know, selfie opportunities at the end with somebody that's semi-famous, that if you ask someone that's a sinner who they were, they wouldn't even know who they are semi-famous. I'm not interested in being famous. And let me tell you, and I'm not, I'm not 
talking about any person in, in particular. I'm just talking in principle. The problem with many of these uh, leaders that want to be famous, that get around celebrities and just want to have pictures with them and hang with them, instead of actually being able to minister to them, they care more about being accepted by them than they do giving them the unadulterated truth. I'm not put on this earth to be the friend of a celebrity. I'm not put on this earth to make everybody feel good. Men and women of God are called by God and sent by God to be deliverers to their generation. You can't be somebody's deliverer if you're in the same problem they are. Hear what I'm saying? Hear what I'm saying? You can't be. If there's somebody drowning on a rushing rapids river and I'm on the bank ready to hold out a branch for them to catch, the dumbest thing I could do would be jump in the river with them. That's the stupidest thing I could do. I cannot help you if I'm in the same problem as you are. And if you want me to try to reach a generation by giving up the power of the Holy Ghost and laying that down and saying, no, you know, we need a more streamlined message. We got to get a more streamlined message. We got to just, it's got to be just about Jesus. You know, let the Holy Ghost, let's let that go to the side. Just talk about Jesus. You can't talk about Jesus without talking about the Holy Ghost. Think about it. Just be logical. You can't talk about Jesus without talking about the Holy Ghost because he couldn't even do his ministry without getting filled with the Holy Ghost. He lived for 30 years and proved that point. For 30 years, he lived as the son of God and produced no miracles on the earth. And then at the uh, Jordan River is baptized by John, gets filled with the Holy Ghost and from that day forward, for three and a third years, his miracles exploded, exploded to the point where the Bible says that if everything he did were recorded, that the books of the world could not record and hold all the things that he did. I mean, ex his ministry exploded with the miraculous. What was the catalyst? Being filled with the Holy Ghost. You can't talk about Jesus without talking about the Holy Ghost. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for the Lord was with him. You can't talk about Jesus without talking about the Holy Ghost. He said, I've got to leave here. His disciples were trying to keep him on the earth. He said, I can't stay here. I've got to go because if I don't leave, I can't send you another comforter. He said, but if I go, I'll ask my father and he'll send you another comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Do you know, think about this. We're on Good Friday and I'll, I'll touch on this quickly. We're in Good Friday. Today, uh, on Passover, all those years ago, Christ was crucified. Christ was crucified and fulfilled the Passover feast on that day of his crucifixion. But think about it. Jesus' work was not ever completed until he died, was buried, descended, ascended, resurrected, ascended again, seated on the throne, and sent the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. Until he sent the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, his work of redemption was not complete. He himself prophesied, I will make that happen. And do you know how I know? Because he told his disciples at the end of the book of Luke, don't go anywhere. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait there. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Wait there. Wait there. Wait until you're filled with power from on high. That happened 10 days after his ascension. Jesus stayed on the earth. Stayed on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection and then ascended into heaven while he was blessing his disciples in Bethany. And 10 days later, during that uh, Pentecost celebration, they heard a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they were sitting. And the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues and prophesy. I'm Pentecostal and unashamed of it. Don't care what people think of it. You should be. There was nobody that chose whether or not they were going to be Pentecostal in the early church. Nobody. You ever think about that? Look at, look at what the Bible says in Acts chapter 8. It's a very interesting story. 
Philip goes to Samaria, preaches the gospel to everybody in the city. They're all seeing his miracle signs and wonders and hearing the gospel preached. And the Bible says, and they're saved and there was great joy in the city. First thing that happened after they were saved, the Bible says that Philip called to Jerusalem so that Peter and John would come to Samaria. For what purpose? To lay their hands on those new believers that they would all be filled with the Holy Ghost. In Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, they all got saved and they all got filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, Paul finds 12 men. Guess what? They all got saved. They all got filled with the Holy Ghost. Everybody, everybody, everyone that was a Christian in the early church was filled with the Holy Ghost. Actually, think of this. We have zero, here's something people don't talk about in, 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 any, in any debate format. We have zero biblical evidence of any believers that are not filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues in the Bible. None. None. We don't have any. Every time in the book of Acts, these people are getting saved and we see people coming into the kingdom, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Every time. And they speak with tongues. Or there's a strong insinuation that they speak with tongues like Acts 8 because Simon the sorcerer saw them getting filled with the Holy Ghost and saw an outward evidence of an inward work. We have zero scriptural evidence of any Christians not Pentecostal in the Bible. None. Every church, every church, gifts, spiritual gifts, spiritual work, things working in their churches. And it was the norm. It was the norm wasn't some weird thing. Did you know that Paul had to write to the Corinthian church who were the baby of babies in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. He said, I wish that you could, I could feed you the meat of the word, but you, your babies, I have to keep giving you the milk of the word. The baby of babies in the New Testament. And Paul writes to them and says, you guys have an abundance of spiritual gifts at work in your church. Notice, it wasn't the, you know, just the Ephesians, the ones that were extremely mature in the, no, the Corinthians, the Corinthians who were extremely immature were having an abundance of gifts. You know why? It was happening to every church. It was happening to all the believers. It wasn't until some deadhead uh, seminary preacher somewhere down the line started telling people by the, really, in my opinion, by the inspiration of the devil. That this is not for every believer. Where did you get that in the Bible? Where did you get that in the Bible? What did you do? Turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and read that one day tongues will cease? Yeah, in heaven, genius, not on the earth. There are no evidences in the scripture that these things are to ever stop while we're here on the earth. Everyone in the Bible in the New Testament that was saved was a Pentecostal believer. Everybody, everybody. We don't have, do you know we don't have anything from Peter, we don't have anything from Paul or anybody else in the New Testament who in, who, who spoke to believers in other churches who, you know, and, and, and you got uh, whether the letters were being written to them and they were responding or they were just uh, addressing churches and they said to them, we know that a lot of you, you know, aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're believing that when we come to you, We'll be able to uh, lay hands on you and get you filled with the Holy Ghost. We know that many of you don't speak in tongues and, you know, we, we understand that. No, that's not, that's not what you saw. That's not what you saw at all. At all. The power of the Holy Ghost. You know what, you know what's interesting is that uh, in some of Paul's first letters to the churches, the Thessalonian letters, Paul even tells them, you know, you got these things happening so much. I know there's some people that don't like it, but don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't quench the spirit. Let the spirit move. You know what was happening is the opposite. It was the opposite. Do you notice this? Did you ever notice that it wasn't Paul saying, hey, come on, guys, let's get these gifts going. Think about this logically. It was never Paul writing and saying, come on, get, come on, churches. Let's get these spiritual gifts in operation. Come on, let's become charismatic. Let's get more Pentecostal, guys. Come on, start speaking in tongues more. Say Baba, now say Shoto, now say Robo, now say DD, now say Good. No, he didn't have to do any of that stuff. Notice Paul's, the way Paul taught. He said, hey, you guys got a lot going on. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophesying. Hey, those of you in Corinth, you've got so many gifts being uh, administrated during your services that it's causing confusion. So let's pull back a little bit and use some order in your services because you've got an abundance. 
It was it wasn't Paul saying, "Hey guys, come on, let's get a little more Pentecostal, let's get a little more charismatic." You know, like people cheerlead today. Come on, everybody! I don't know why you're not praising. Let's pray. Let come on, pray in the Holy Ghost. Why aren't you praying in the Holy Ghost? Lift your hand. It, it wasn't any of that. It was the churches were filled with Pentecostal uh, administration of gifts, filled to the point Paul had to direct them to order. And tell, and tell them, there's some that don't like all that's going on in your churches. They don't like the uh, the prophesying. They don't like speaking in tongues. They don't like the power of God moving. But don't quench the spirit and don't forbid speaking in tongues and do not despise prophesying. Why? Because it was happening all the time. And they were Pentecostal and they were unashamed. It wasn't until years later when the church stopped being Pentecostal. You had this nut job jumping on to my YouTube the other night from the Roman Catholic Church. You're all a bunch of heretics. There was none of this Protestant stuff existed for hundreds of years before the Reformation. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about the fact that the birth of the church had nothing to do with Catholicism and none of them considered the apocryphal books to be canon and none of those doctrines were practiced by the church like baptism for the dead or any of that nut job stuff? that the cult of the Roman Catholic Church does to keep bringing in money for their cult? No, none of that stuff was practiced in the early church. None of that stuff was believed. None of it was adhered to. They were all Pentecostal. Every last one of them were speaking in tongues and praying for the sick and watching miracles happen. All of that stuff in the New Testament was Pentecostal believers. Well, you know, the reformers, let me tell you about the reformers. Let me tell you, I'm thank, I thank God for the reformers, but the reformers were not the institutors of the church. <laughs> the people act like the reformers created the Protestant church. <laughs> it makes me laugh. You think Martin Luther and John Calvin created the church? You read through Bible, you know, biblical history and you think, well, everything, you know, everything was Catholic until uh, Martin Luther and his uh, 95 Theses and, you know, John Calvin and some of the others uh, got together and created uh, the Protestant Reformation. You honestly think that John Calvin and Martin Luther created the Protestant church? Or do you think all the way back in the early church on the day of Pentecost when the church was established and these churches throughout Asia Minor and, and throughout the Middle East, you honestly think that it wasn't happening? That's all we have record of in the Bible. It's all we have record of. That's it. Pentecostal churches, Pentecostal believers. That's all. It wasn't until the devil did his best to try to strip. See, because remember this. Here's why, and I'm not one of these like conspiracy theorists, like, you know, uh, one of these religious nut jobs that goes around talking about, well, you're not saved if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to heaven. I'm, I'm not saying any of that stuff. The Bible doesn't teach that stuff. But at the same time, if you think about it, if you think about it logically, all of these things that I'm talking about, all the things that I'm teaching you tonight, everything from the early church, all of the evidence that we have from antiquity, every manuscript, all of our Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Coptic, Latin manuscripts, it's all proof that the churches were Pentecostal from the beginning. From the beginning. There was no Catholic church. There was no Pope. Honestly, this guy jumps on, well, you know, uh, Peter was the first Pope and that's what Jesus was telling that we're gonna, I'm gonna make you the Pope. That's not at you have to be a, an absolute fool to read the New Testament and somehow come out of the Gospels, what Jesus said to Peter, say, oh, I see clearly, yeah, he was, that's when Jesus formed the Roman Catholic Church, and that's when Jesus made Peter the first pope. You have to be an absolute genius to come out of the Gospels, and that's your thought that you have, that Jesus said he was going to build the church on Peter. <laughs> you ever think about this logically? Okay, if, if Jesus was going to build the church on Peter, then how come it was not Peter but Paul that wrote the majority of the New Testament text? Why didn't he say to Paul, upon you I'll build the church? Explain that. Explain how we have first and second Peter, and of course Mark wrote his gospel from the eyewitness accounts of Peter. And that's it. 
How come Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament text and the New Testament text is what the church was built upon? The teachings of Christ that were distributed through the church through the New Testament text that they were already recognizing as scripture as early as they were being written. How do I know? Peter actually tells the church and references Paul's letters and calls them scripture. They were recognizing them as scripture as they were being written and read in the churches. It wasn't till, you know, people that don't even know Bible history. Well, you know, that, you know, it was men. It was Constantine that created the canon of the church at the council of Nicaea. That's so stupid. They didn't even discuss the canon of scripture at the council of Nicaea. It wasn't until the council of Trent and that's, they weren't discussing what was and wasn't scripture. No man can decide what scripture is. They can only recognize scripture as they see what's inside it. But notice in the early church, according to the Bible, they were already receiving it as scripture and the church was built upon the teachings of the apostles in Christ distributed to the early church. So if that's what Peter really was, the first pope upon whom Jesus would build the church, how come he only created a small portion of the New Testament writings and Paul produced the majority? It would seem any any logical thinking person would say, well, if that's the case, it seems like he built the church on Paul, not Peter. But that's not what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching that he would build the church upon Peter's revelation that he was the Christ. He was the anointed one. For anybody that's ever read that, maybe you came out of Catholicism and you never knew what, what that scripture meant or how to interpret that properly. Christ was not saying, Peter, I'm going to build the church on you. He said, who do you say that I am? And he said, I say you're the Christ, the anointed one. He said, and that's true. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. The rock of revelation that Christ is the anointed one. He's the son of God. He said, upon that fact, I'll build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Notice the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You see it. The stone that the builders rejected, Christ, has become the cornerstone of the church. The revelation that he is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He's the son of God. And on this day, 2,000 years ago, he was crucified. Hallelujah. And that's powerful. He shouted that one word in the Greek language that we have, tetelestai. It is finished. That word, is not just speaking about a debt being paid, but it's speaking of a victory being won. Hallelujah. And on this day that we celebrate the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, you know, in churches all over the world, they're trying to take the crosses out of the churches. Well, that's a gruesome sight, you know, brother. Uh, we don't think we should leave that up because, you know, it's a, a morbid thing. You know, that was torture. That was a torturous punishment. That's a very gruesome thing to leave on a wall of a church. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It might look gruesome to you, but to me, it's the most beautiful sight in the world to know that Jesus Christ was willing to die on the cross and lay down his life and take it back up again so that we could be forgiven of our sin. That's one of the greatest things we could ever know or ever have happen in the history of our lives. I'm not ashamed of the cross. I'm thankful for the cross. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. Colossians 3 and verse 3, I am dead and my life is hid with Christ in God. I'm glad he died. I died when he died. You died when he died. We are dead and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3. 3. I'm thankful that he died. Happy that he died. Very happy. Happy that he was buried. When he was buried, I was buried. I was buried. You know what's so powerful about the death of Christ? If I, watch this, if I had not died with him, if I had not died to sin, I would have died in sin. Write that in the comments for those of you that are watching before we pray. If I had not died to sin, 
I would have died in sin. Such a powerful thought. If I had not died to sin, I would have died in sin. And there's a difference there because when you die to sin, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Verse 14, Romans 6, 14, I believe it is. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. If I had not died to sin, I would have died in sin. The death is powerful. That's it. Put it in the comments. Thank you, Ed. If I had not died to sin, I would have died in sin. And so when he died, we died. Hallelujah. When he died, we died. And it's important to know that you died when he died because you've been crucified with Christ. You've been buried with Christ. Not only that, you were resurrected with Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And then you ascended with Christ and you're seated in heavenly places. That's the revelation God gave the apostle Paul. We have been united with Christ. We're one with him in crucifixion. We're one with him in burial. We're one with him in baptism. Powerful. If I had not died to sin, I would have died in sin. Oh, hallelujah. And he died on the Passover. I brought this out today. I'll tell it to you and then we'll pray. Thank you, Jesus. On the first Passover in the book of Exodus, as they were getting ready to leave Egypt, on the very first Passover, death was released into the world, the death angel. On the first Passover, death was released into the world. But on the Passover where Jesus died, death was defeated and taken out. Death was released in the first Passover. Death was defeated in the last Passover. Think about it. Hallelujah. The keys of death, hell, and the grave, he took them back. He defeated death, which Paul called the final enemy. And Jesus defeated it on the cross. He said, it is finished. People think Jesus went down into the lower parts of the earth and, and was tortured in, in hell. Jesus didn't go torture and su get, suffer and get tortured in hell. He, he finished it on the cross. Bible teaches in the book of Colossians. He finished it on the cross. Just for anybody that thinks, and let me just give you a heads up, for anybody that thinks Jesus went down into hell and suffered on your behalf in the flames of hell, it never happened. It never happened. Study the Old Testament and even in the Gospels, you'll find that in Hades, which is the hell that's in the center of the earth, in Hades there were two compartments. One which is a place of suffering and one which was called paradise. When you read the story about Lazarus and the rich man, the Bible says that they were in two different places in a great divide, both of them in the lower parts of the earth. Lazarus was not in heaven with God. He was in paradise. Nobody could go to heaven before Christ. And they were there, but there was a great divide. They couldn't reach each other. And the rich man cried out and said, if I could just have a drop of water for my tongue. And they couldn't reach him. He said, if you can, at least go back and tell my family. At least go back and tell my family. That paradise is where Jesus went when he descended. He told the one thief on the cross that was next to him, said, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. In the place that he had to go. Descended. He descended that he might ascend. He didn't go suffer and die again. He didn't have to die a spiritual death in hell and be tortured by the devil in the flames of hell. No, he finished it on the cross and Colossians is clear about it. And he went into the lower parts of the earth and preached to the captives, led captivity captive, made a show of them openly and triumphed over them in it, took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And on the third day, he was resurrected from the tomb. And when they came to find him early before the dawn, the stone had already been rolled away and the grave clothes were folded and he was gone. And the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. Hallelujah. He's risen. Thank you, Jesus. If he had not died, he could not have been resurrected. If he had not died, he could not have been resurrected. And I'll finish tonight with this thought, that there's a reason that we make such a, a big deal. So people are always harping, you Christians are always harping on the resurrection. Let me tell you why. The resurrection is what our entire life in Christ is based upon. Think about it. 
Hallelujah. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians. It's kind of you, Billy, and not even close. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Listen, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul taught everything hinges on the resurrection of Christ. That if he was raised, our faith is not in vain. He's coming again very soon. But if Jesus was not raised, then your faith, my preaching, is in vain. But he's not dead tonight. He's alive. Hallelujah. It's what we're celebrating today, tomorrow, Sunday. Just give me a few little history things here. We don't serve, we don't go to church on Sunday because it's, you know, it somehow was corrupted and we're some pagan sun god where we got tricked into worshiping on, on some day that was formed by some pagan god of the sun. It's not why we worship on Sunday. We worship on Sunday because it's the day he was risen. Christians in history met together on the day Christ was raised. Even in the book of Revelation, when you hear John say, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What was the Lord's day? The day Christ rose from the dead. The Sabbath was on Saturday, but the Lord's day was on Sunday. We don't go, go to church on the Sabbath. That was Old Testament Mosaic law. The Sabbath was Saturday. We meet on the Lord's day, the day Christ rose from the dead, Sunday. That's why we come together on that day. It's the Lord's day. And this coming Sunday, we celebrate it again, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The thing that sets him apart from every other God is that they're all dead and he's alive. They're all dead and he's alive. I'm telling you what I'm praying tonight is that this fire of the Holy Ghost would come upon you, come into your spirit. Those, anybody, if there's been timidity, if you felt that thing that's trying to steal your boldness, it's coming to an end tonight because as I pray this prayer, I'm asking God, if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, to fill you with the Holy Ghost tonight. Set you on fire with the power of his spirit. Give you boldness. Give you the ability of what he's called you to do. John 14, 12, Jesus said, the works that I do, you shall do also, and even greater works than these because I'm going to be with my Father in heaven. You are empowered to do the same things Jesus has done. Same things. And we're going to see the greatest age the church has ever seen. God saves the best for last. And before Christ Jesus comes, there may be some that fall away as the Bible prophesied. The hearts of many will grow cold. Our hearts will be on fire. We'll be a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Nothing will stop God's people. Nothing. Nothing. It's going to be the best days you've ever seen. Bow your head. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. For every man, every woman that's watching the broadcast live or on the replay, those that are listening on the podcast, I pray in Jesus' name that you would touch them tonight, fill them with the mighty Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, in Jesus' mighty name. I pray, Lord, that tonight a new boldness, a new fire would come upon your people. Touch them for your glory. Use them before it's too late. Let us work the works of him who sent us while it's yet day, for the night is coming where no man can work. And so, Lord, before Jesus returns and raptures this church, let us do the work that you've called us to do. Set our hearts on fire. Don't ever let us be ashamed that we're filled to overflowing with the mighty power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that the gifts of the Spirit be in manifestation in our lives and in our, our church services. Let our churches catch on fire. Father, we pray for our leaders. Let them always feel the boldness of the Holy Ghost. Never let them bend or fold under pressure of this antichrist system and those that are against or opposed to the moving of the Holy Ghost. Let us never buckle under that pressure of trying to streamline the gospel. We will never streamline the gospel, quote unquote. We'll never remove the power of the Holy Ghost. We'll not quench the Spirit. We'll never despise prophesying. We'll never uh, uh, forbid speaking in tongues. We will move in the power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. 
We thank you, Lord, for it, and we give you honor, glory, and praise for your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life. Thank you for taking back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Thank you for ascending, being seated on a throne, and thank you for raising us up together with you and seating us in heavenly places. Thank you for your resurrection. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name, shout aloud, amen. Wherever you're watching from, type it in the comments. We thank you, Lord. If anybody has questions, I'll take them for about five minutes, uh, and then we're going to go. I'm going to let you have time with your family during this holy weekend. I want to encourage you, those of you watching to sow a seed. And of course, as you know, for everybody that's sowing, we're sending you that phenomenal book on the end times, uh, The End by Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Best book on the end times I've ever read. It'll blow your hair back. Somebody said, what do you know about that? Absolutely nothing. I have no hair. <laughs> we want to encourage you to sow a seed. If you haven't done so, I want to encourage you to do it. Why? We're believing and setting ourselves in position for the greatest harvest in April that we've ever seen. And we will see it in Jesus' name. We will see it. So information's on the screen. If you feel to do it, hashtag donate in the comments section for Twitter, Periscope, and Facebook. If you uh, are using YouTube or watching on YouTube or the podcast, you can always go to the website or you can go to PayPal, Cash App, Venmo. All the information's on the screen. And you can sow a seed there. Thank you. And Caitlin's reminding me tonight at midnight. Thanks, Lynn. Tonight at midnight, I'll be live with my father. Miracles at midnight. And um, tonight we're going to be taking worldwide communion. Thank you, Todd. For everybody that's watching, get your communion elements ready. And I'm going to be preaching uh, and teaching. My father will be... Uh, I'm sure teaching and preaching as well. It's his broadcast. And uh, he's been going every single night, Sunday through Friday. And uh, he's announcing it, that he's going to go a third week. Praise God. And so those of you that are going to be joining him uh, will be able to join him even next week, Sunday through Friday at midnight. Miracles at midnight. You're not going to want to miss it. So tonight, join us back. Stay up late. You got nothing else to do. What are you going to do? Go to bed? For what? Thanks, Mendy. What are you going to do tomorrow? <laughs> Stay up late with us. You're not old, you're young, you're full of energy. Get yourself an energy drink. Get yourself a diet A&W root beer. <laughs> Amen, Ted. They have been. And uh, get yourself a Rockstar energy drink, a Red Bull. Hit, hit a couple of, hit a few shots of espresso. Scotty, we'll share it on our page as well, but uh, it's my father's Facebook Ted Shuttlesworth, Faith Alive, and also the same on YouTube. And it'll be airing live on his Facebook page, his YouTube uh, channel, and we'll be sharing the feed as well. So you'll be able to see it on this page too. We're going to share it here. And uh, you can check it out, Ted Shuttlesworth, hyphen, Faith Alive. Bold ginger ale, sounds good. Karen, the qu question, why, why would the baptism of the Holy Spirit be forthcoming? I don't understand what you mean by that. I don't understand the question. Why have you not received it yet? Is that your question? <laughs> Pound a rock star. Yeah, do it. Do it. Everything's received by faith, Karen, just like healing, just like salvation, all of that. And um, you were in a church, Karen, that doesn't even believe in the Holy Spirit's baptism. So it's important to, as I said, and I know you're um, moving in that direction, but it's important to be in a church that not only believes in the Holy Spirit, but is having the manifestations of the, like I said at the beginning, functions in the Holy Ghost. And then you can do as they did in the Bible and have your pastor or one of whoever they've got um, lay their hands upon you. And that's the main way we saw in the New Testament book of Acts, people being filled with the Holy Ghost having hands laid upon you. And so you can do that. And uh, and God will honor your faith. It's a free gift. It's not just for a few. By the way, let me say this. Now that this book is out further faster, I have started um, our, the new book that I'm getting ready to put out. And I'm doing a whole series. I know this will help you guys uh, and many others that will get their hands on these. I'm doing a whole series of books called The Spirit-Filled Believer's Guides. 
and we're going to cover a different section in each volume. So for example, the one I've just started work on is the Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide to Speaking in Tongues. And we look at the history of it. We look at what it means. We look at it as the initial evidence. We go through every question people have on the Holy Ghost. And we answer, especially speaking in tongues, in that book. I'm going to do the Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide on the Rapture, Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide on Tithing, Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide. I mean, we're going to go right through, right through all the questions that people have. And then we're going to put these out as a series, but they'll come out one by one. But at the end, when they're all written, we'll sell them as one box set series. But uh, it'll it'll be helpful because they they're the purpose of these books is to qu- just to quickly answer all of the questions regarding those subjects that people have. You know, let me give you an example. As, as far as speaking in tongues, um, is speaking in tongues for everybody? Was speaking in tongues just the ability to speak foreign languages in the New Testament? If you speak in tongues, should there always be an interpretation? If not, should people stay silent? Can you speak in tongues at will? If you speak in tongues at will, should you interpret it? You know, all these questions people ask. Did speaking in tongues cease? You know, we're going to go through the Bible explanation of all of these different aspects of speaking in tongues. And then we'll do the same for the rapture. We'll do the same for tithing. We're going to keep going with all these divine healing. We'll do the same for prayer. All of these different topics that people have so many questions about, we're going to take the time. And I believe they'll be so useful in small group settings, uh, church class settings, because I'm writing them in such a way they'll have references. uh, They'll have recommended reading at the end. People, if you want to go deeper in the study of speaking in tongues and pneumatology, all those things. So we'll use them as well in Miracle Word University, but they'll be extremely helpful for believers. And uh, the Lord's got me going on this first one already, and I think I'm one or two chapters in on the first one already. So uh, we'll give you more updates when it's close to coming out. You'll be able to get them. There'll be um, there'll be ebook versions. There'll be paperback versions. They're books, Kristen. They're books, but they'll also be. Um, They'll also be um, available to go with Miracle Word University courses. So uh, Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide to Can We Trust Our Bible? You know, those kinds of things. To answer the questions, you know, is it God's Word? How do we know it is? How do we know we have the same Bible they had in the early church? How do we know it hasn't been corrupted? How do we know that we don't have something that somebody made up through the years that was watered down? Answering all those questions. So, um, and then of course the fiction stuff that we're getting ready to write for your kids. And then I've got a novel that's going to be coming out at some point uh, that the Lord gave me. The Lord gave, think about this. I've always wanted to write fiction and the Lord gave me an idea while I was praying to get ready to preach a revival service in the Midwest. I was ironing my suit and shirt and stuff, getting ready to go preach and trying to get a word from the Lord for for the message. And in that moment, the Holy Ghost dropped into my spirit the entire storyline of this book that I'm going to write, this fictional book that I'm going to write. And it's, it's, it's going to be great. I'm so excited about it. So there's so much coming, so much coming. Uh, the first fiction that'll be released will be the fiction for your kids, Miracle Word Kids. I'm doing adventure stories for the children and, and they're, it's going to be packed with Holy Ghost power and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Thank you for everybody that's sowing a seed. Uh, we really are believing God and we've asked the Lord Thanks, Ted. That was my first real published uh, fiction in that way, and I loved writing that. People thought that was a story from history, Ted. Did you know that? I had people text me and say, where can I read more about what happened in history, you know, back when they, when they uh, that kid and his dad that were, and I was like, no, I actually wrote that. It's fictional. <laughs> but um, I'm excited, and we've been praying. Carol and I have been praying, and God's answering our prayers. He's connecting us with more and more people that are standing with us in partnership. We want to encourage you to do it. Pray about it. Ask the Lord if he'd have you to do it. And if so, you can go to miracleword.com, click on the partner tab, and join us in partnership. For every person that sows $1,000 or more, of course, you know we're going to send you, along with the book, we're going to send you um, this genuine leather version of the Life Application Study Bible in the New Living Translation. I'm going to make it out to you and your family just to say we love you. Thank you for being with me tonight. I know a lot of people are supporting their churches. I'm glad they did. They can watch this on the replay. But um, I love you. Have a phenomenal weekend. 
Um, I'll be live tonight. Don't forget, midnight with my father. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Have a phenomenal weekend with your family. Celebrate the Lord. Celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And uh, I'll talk to you again very soon. I love you guys. Have a good night. Oh, yes. Are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? I said, are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? I got to say this again tonight. Oh, I'm a Pentecostal. I am unashamed. We're the book of action. We are still the same. Worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. I'm a Pentecostal. I am unashamed. We're the book of Acts. We are still the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. We worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. We've been known to get wild, let our hair hang down. Drink till we get merry, rolling on the ground. We cranked up the music, danced all around. Shouting hallelujah as his glory came down. It's just our style, the way we do our thing. Oh, we're the Pentecostals, that kind in Jesus' name. I'm a Pentecostal, I am unashamed. We're the book of Acts, we are still the same. We worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. We worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire. Can I say it again? Come on, clap those hands. Sound like camp meeting in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In case you didn't hear me, we've been known to get wild. Let our hair hang down. Drink till we get merry, rolling on the ground. We cranked up the music, danced all around. Shouting hallelujah as his glory came down. It's just our style, the way we do our thing. We're the Pentecostals, baptized in Jesus' name. We worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire. think was strange when I got this Holy Ghost I could not contain more exciting than a party higher than a drug it's the greatest feeling being washed in his blood if you're tired of tradition religion's done you wrong you're feeling tired and empty no longer have a fall the story's not over things for you can change. Feel the fire burning as the spirit fans the flame. There's millions who have come and millions on the way. Leaving their dead churches for this Pentecostal faith. There's a hunger in the world that gets stronger every day. They're crying out for Pentecost. That is why we say. Worship God the Father, 
stink was strange. When I got this Holy Ghost, I could not contain. More exciting than a party, higher than a truck. It's the greatest feeling, being washed in his blood. You're tired of tradition, religion's done you wrong. Feeling dry and empty, no longer have a song. The story's not over, things for you can change. Feel the fire burning as the spirit fans the flame. There's millions who have conquered, millions on the way. Living their dead churches on this Pentecostal day. To hunger in the world that gets stronger every day. They're crying out for Pentecost, that is why we say. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. 